Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have a new friend, Mark Devine. Mark is truly divine. He is a Navy SEAL and was a SEAL commander for what is considered the most elite fighting force in the world. We talk about being a Navy SEAL, how he got to be a Navy SEAL, and how he has parlayed his time as a Navy SEAL into his business, Unbeatable. This man is truly remarkable, and I cannot wait for you to listen to my discussion, my talk, my conversation, and my adoration for Mark Devine. Welcome, Mark. It's so great to have you on today. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Laura. It's an honor to be here. So first of all, you're a badass. Let's just say that you're a Navy SEAL and we're a SEAL commander for what is considered the most elite um, fighting force in the world. Have you always had a strong mind-body connection? I mean, what were your adolescent years like and how did you know you were going to become a Navy SEAL? (laughs) No. (laughs) Short answer. You know, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York, and I would say I I had a decent connection to my body. I was definitely an athlete. My mom got me involved in athletics early. And I think that the the part that took me from just pure body athleticism into more of the mind and the spirit was nature. You're from the East Coast, and uh, I was an upstate New Yorker, and we would spend our summers on Lake Placid in the Adirondacks. And we were, you know, it was a unique place because there was no road to get there. We had to take a boat. And so, and there was no TV, no internet, right? right? Still to this day, right? So, and we spent the whole summer, like the day after school got out and until the day before we went back. I spent all my time outside and I combined my love for athletics with nature. And I would love to do it alone, actually. Like I can't tell you, unless I was water skiing or on the lake, I wasn't usually alone then just for the safety factor. But out in the wilderness, you know, six million acres all around us. I could go for hours and days. And I just had some extraordinary grounding taking place. So that, I think that was like my, what I would say, probably one of the biggest blessings of my life was to learn how to be really comfortable in nature and alone and silent. And also to, to recognize just how much nature has to teach us. So I developed a deep connection in nature and that kind of provided a foundation for like a spiritual path when I got into. So the next phase of the story, and I'll try to keep this brief, is like I went on and did the typical, you know, American guy thing where I went to college and I was a competitive swimmer and I was in a fraternity and all that. And then I got a good job, you know, that was going to get me all the credentials. So I got a great job at Cooper's and Library, now PricewaterhouseCoopers down in Manhattan. They sent me to NYU Stern School of Business where I got my MBA. So I became an MBA CPA in the first, you know, three years of my post-college career. But the most significant thing that happened, Laura, during that time frame is I was looking for something to kind of ground me, some physical practice. And I wasn't uh, familiar with yoga at all, actually. This is 19, early 80s. Just hadn't come across it. 
But I was looking for something like that besides just working out. And I remember that my freshman roommate had gotten into karate and he had really transformed from it. And so I was thinking that'd be kind of cool. And it just so happens there was this, this world headquarters of a karate program called Sato, a block or two from my house or from my apartment in Manhattan. So, you know, I went in there one night and I met a grandmaster who founded this whole style of karate. He's a Japanese guy named Nakamura, 10th degree black belt. And it just so happens he was also a Zen master. And so he had a very small group of students that would practice Zen on Thursday nights for an hour with him. And I jumped in on that because I just looked, wow, that looks cool. That's what I'm looking for. And it was sitting on that Zen bench that I began to like reconnect with what I experienced at, at the most flow state moments when I was in nature. And I was like, okay, this is cool. This is a path. And so I was combining that hardcore physical training with the seated, you know, concentration kind of boot camp style of Zen meditation. And all this was happening, you know, when I was 21, 22, 23 years old. So I was really fortunate to um, get into meditation and combine it with a physical practice that early in my life. And as you know, when, when you, start to do that and you dedicate yourself to a disciplined uh, mental development practice, things start to change for you <laughs> and they can change pretty quickly. And what changed for me is just a deep investigation into the stories that I was telling myself and the, the path that my parents had kind of, or culture has set me on and that whole MBA, CPA, climbing the corporate ladder just started to look really distasteful and not right for me. And so I asked better questions and meditated on it and contemplated and journaled and this whole process I tell about in my book, Unbeatable Mind. And, and the next thing you know, you know, I find myself heading toward the Navy SEALs at 25. My parents are freaking out. You know, everyone's like, what the hell are you doing? You're throwing away your life, Mark, you know, especially, you know, the upstate uh, East Coast, like the military is like, you know, that's for people who can't figure it out. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I figured it out, that's where I went. I went to be an elite special operator. What was it that inspired that shift, I mean, it, specifically to go into the military and the Navy SEALs. I mean, I can understand that path of, of finding this very deep centering and understanding of yourself and your needs and that, that the path of like the MBA, the kind of linear trajectory was not going to be satisfying, was actually probably going to take you away from that. But how did you make the leap to a Navy SEAL? Well, you know, all this happened really around my meditation practice. And then I began to do it every day in the morning. And I would sit and reflect and journal. And I, I, um, I started to wonder, like I said, what, what led me here? Like, why am I not happy? And so it really started with the negation. Negation was, if I'm not, I'm not feeling aligned with this work path that I'm on, you know, I, I'm not inspired by the people I'm around. I'm not inspired by the work. I, I, I really want to be I feel like there's something else for me. So I started to ask, well, if not that, then what? And then I started to ask, well, what am I passionate about? Well, I've already mentioned, I was really passionate about being outside. I love adventures and I love training and physical fitness. And then I asked, you know, what is the meaning? Like what means something to me that I can consider something that I value, right? Or that I would want to live my life as a principle. And so I started to articulate a set of principles that I wanted to live my life by. And one of them was I, you know, I wanted to be strong in mind, body, and spirit and, and take action every day toward that. And I recognized it's very hard to do that in the corporate world. And I wasn't really motivated by money, but I was motivated by service. And so I, you know, I can, I'm sure you can, I could have found a way to serve in the corporate world at that time, but I, I couldn't see it, but I could serve in some other ways. So I, so armed with that growing awareness, then I started to ask, so, Knowing all that, what is it really I'm meant to do? And what, you know, what is my purpose in life? Like, how am I supposed to show up in this world? And I would meditate on that. And that's when I started to get the messages, right? The spiritual insight. And it didn't tell me to go be a Navy SEAL. I had zero interest in a military career, mind you. Right? I was not thinking I'm going to be in the military. But what I got was that I was meant to be a warrior. And when I combined the warrior archetype that was emerging in me with this, the passions of adventure and risk and wanting to be outside and, you know, lots of variety, as well as my principles where I wanted to serve. And it wasn't really about the money. It was about leadership and service. Then it started to like really, really start to focus my, you know, the search. And that is when 
you know, synchronicity stepped in because I was walking home from work one day and I saw this poster on the window and I looked up and it was a Navy recruiting office and the poster said, be someone special across the top. It had pictures of Navy SEAL doing really cool shit. And I just was transfixed. I'm like, thank you, God. Like, that's it right there. That's what I want to do. And it didn't say Navy SEALs. It, didn't, it just said, be someone special. I knew that was it. Wow. So I probably am like so many people that there has been a real awe factor, wow factor when you hear Navy SEALs. More than, you know, no offense to the other military branches, they are- Of course, they're all awesome. They're all awesome. Exactly. I have friends in the Air Force, in other aspects, but how does one become a Navy SEAL? I mean, my only experience probably like others is just watching, you know, heroic missions or even like G.I. Jane with Demi Moore and you oh, know, yeah, seeing, seeing like this, yeah, this incredible- struggle to to persevere and with that because you know struggle we all know struggle is actually what grows us and i feel like that must be a major tenant with um the navy seals but how, what are the what is the step to to actually becoming one you apply and then what what happens and just watch the video game and the tv show and apply and you're in and then how it works <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure i swear to god really? a lot of people think that right they show up and they're like what now you can't even get in the front door unless you train probably for you know, I've been training SEAL candidates now since 2004. And um, the ones that succeed are the ones that train for about five years. Oh, wow. Just to prepare themselves to get in. Now, I'm not just suggesting that others can't get in, but they've trained themselves non-specifically. You know, like Olympic, we got Olympians who head into the SEALs, Olympic swimmers, Olympic wrestlers. They're pretty much ready. And they could say, okay, yeah, I want to be a Navy SEAL. And they may have to do a few things to get their bodies more durable, but Generally, they're going to have the right stuff. But an average person, you know, anybody can be a Navy SEAL if they have the, the basic raw material. You know what I mean? Like I, I've seen imagery of your yoga. It's phenomenal. And you have the basic raw material to be able to move your body like that. And then you've trained really, really hard over a long period of time. And then that comes together. So it's very similar. If you have the raw material, you're male, you're not, you know, a six foot 10 male or a four foot one male, right? You're generally athletic, you got some good movement skills, you're self-aware, you're not obese. You know what I mean? So you got to have the right stuff. But then given that, you have to train really hard. And that training is both physical and mental and emotional as well, because it's the mental and emotional that really is what weeds the trainees out. So you know, it takes a few years to get ready to even pass the entry standards. Once you do that, then you go to boot camp, Boot camp is fairly easy. Once you do that, you go to something called a four-month program called Bud's Prep. You know, we could talk about the statistics. Like, let's say a couple thousand people each year show up at boot camp. By the end of uh, Bud's Prep, after boot camp, there's probably about 700 left that go to Bud's. And at the end of Bud's, uh, Bud's is ha- held five times a year. And then by the end of that program, you know, we end up with about 175. Seals every year. Wow! So that's yeah. So yeah, it's pretty significant. You know, uh, attrition rate. Like, and each individual class, what that looks like is. Let's use my class for example. We had 185 really hardcore males, and there are women now allowed to start. And so you're going to see some of the first women actually class up into seal training this summer. Uh, I've been training one of them. I think she's got a good shot at it. So for me, it was all men back in the time. 185. 19 of us made it to graduation day. Mm, wow. 19. Wow, that's... Yeah, so yeah. it's a lot of training. And like I said, it's not just the physical. It's kind of like, you know, like you think, I used to study Ashtanga yoga and a lot of people are drawn to Ashtanga because it's aggressive. It's kind of got that martial arts feeling to it. And you know what I mean? You feel mm-hmm. like you're... It's very regimented, yes. It's very regimented and you could attract some egos, right, even. A lot. <laughs> because you, right, because you want, you know, it's like acrobatics. You want to see or prove to yourself and others that you can do this. So you could practice Ashtanga, you know, for like 10 years. And if you're a jerk when you start, you might still be a jerk when you're done. And if you come into SEAL training as a super fit, like badass, and you're a jerk, because you haven't done the emotional work and, and humbled yourself, you're not going to make it. In fact, it's this, you know, the star quarterback, it's all about me, people who literally are the first ones that the instructors find a way to make them quit. And that's the interesting thing about it. Like the instructors actually find a way to make you quit. 
And if you're a great guy who's doing exact, if two people doing exactly the same thing, performing exactly the same physical standards, and one of them's a jerk and one of them's a great guy, guess who's going to make it? I mean, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. A great guy. Because the instructors are, are selecting their next crop of teammates. Not people they're going to lord over, but teammates. People that they have to rely on and combat, you know, to bring them back out if they're the injured one. So it's a lot about mental resiliency to just get up every day and just get punished, you know, for 12, 15 hours a day. The resiliency to know when to, you know, know how to take care of your body, how to calm down, how to, you know, stretch and recover. That's why yoga and stretching and breathing. And that was so valuable for me at 25 when I went through, you know, I was considered an old guy in SEAL training. And also the emotional awareness to not be, be reactionary because the instructors are masterful at trying to poke and prod at your weaknesses and to get you to overreact and, you know, or to quit, basically. I imagine so many people, I mean, not many people would sign up for it, but I can't imagine how this wouldn't be so impactful, some of those techniques, and I'm sure you've utilized them for really growing a person. Because I know I've always been fascinated in the mind-body. I wrote my college essay about it. Uh, my brother and I, I'm a triplet, and one of my brothers and I decided to run a marathon like when we were seniors in high school with no prep. And I remember this feeling of my mind was the thing that was going to make me stop, not my body. And I just was so aware of like the thoughts, like, I'm tired, I need to stop, this sucks, you know, all these things that come up. And that ability to narrate the story differently, you know, like, this is a feeling. I'm powerful. I can get past this. Here we go. Here's mile 24. So I wrote my my essay about it, not even knowing I was going to go into the realm of yoga and mind body. But what I have noticed in in myself, and I and it sounds so much like in the seals in a much greater degree, is like in the process of the physical challenge, you really discover who you are, and you kind of burn off the ego part that is more, you know, the me, me, me-ness. Don't you think all that physical training, yes, you have to be in shape for all the expeditions and whatnot, but isn't it also just to get into that warrior mode? It's to mm-hmm. get super clear and, and train the brain that discomfort is part of life. I mean, that if we all knew that from day one, I think life would be easier in a lot of ways. Like it, we're going to be uncomfortable a lot. It's going to, there's going to be a lot yeah. of pain and struggle, but there's also a lot of beauty. And it's just somehow using the body as this instrument to sift through all the stuff and get rid of the crap that is actually harbored in there. We all have it. Those techniques, I, I'm imagining you've taken some of those and you're teaching people. They don't have to be Navy SEALs, but here's some really great techniques mm-hmm. for getting through the muck of our mind. For sure. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I think that when you have a disciplined regimen, because you've learned that what you just said is true, that through the body, we can forge the mind and the spirit. And that it begins and is experienced in the beginning, I should say, as suffering. But when you embrace the suck of that suffering, on the other side is joy. It's the joy of growth. It's the joy of breakthroughs. It's the joy of transformation. It's the joy of being healthy. It's the joy of feeling strong and confident as opposed to feeling weak and incompetent. And so when you get to that point where you have that kind of breakthrough, that transformation where the suffering turns to joy, then you actually really enjoy it, right? Like I utterly love, I, I protect the first four hours of my day every day for my suffer fest, but it's not, also, it's not suffering anymore. It's just absolutely blissful. Now, through that process, I've also learned that the body is the mind and the mind is the body. There really is no separation. Absolutely. So you have to really get into the body to recognize that that's where your mind is. It's not just stuck in this little thing above our necks, right? That's just one little tiny aspect of our body. And so when your body's telling you, wow, I'm tired, and your mind is saying, you got more to go, your body's like, you're right. Well, it's the whole, it's the mind-body that's all in communication. And, and then also you're when you bring the spirit in, which is just kind of watching the whole show with a big ass smile on her face, then you're unstoppable or you're unbeatable, right? And so 
at a metaphysical or meta level, I try to teach that to get people to experience that. So our training is really embodied learning, embodied leadership. When I'm working with a corporate leader or corporate team, like we take them through like a version of Navy SEAL training and we put them in an ice bath and we have them do yoga. We have them do what I call integrated functional movement where we integrate breath, awareness of body integrity, you know, things, you know, the way you would teach yoga. I teach that with burpees and push-ups and sit-ups and stuff to get people to slow down to get to become much more aware of their both external and internal surroundings as they're moving their body and how their mind is being moved by the breath and how the breath and mind union is affecting the body. And so that, that just wakes them up big time. It's like a, it's like a boom, three days, I can literally shatter people's paradigms of what it means to be a human. But then it's, that's just the beginning, of course, right? Because even events like that, which are deeply immersive, you know, you could forget pretty quickly. So then I give them practices and we have them coached, but you know, like they would have a coach, which is similar to having a yoga teacher where we take these skills and we break them down and then we practice them daily in, in a training plan that we devise. And there's four key skills. We call them the big four. The first one is, believe it or not, breath training. I believe that. Pranayama. Yeah. Because that's such an important kind of pivot point between the body, the mind, and the spirit. And when I and we teach it in a very, very simple, progressive way. First, we teach we teach a simple box breathing pattern. This you know four or five count you know uh, ratio of one, 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 and we teach that for uh, de stressing and arousal control and rebalancing the body, body brain it has all enormous benefits that I'm sure you've talked about on this on your show and with your you know, students a lot. Then we teach, this is still in the first skill. Then we teach breathing as a concentration practice so people can even more develop more concentration power so they can focus on the right things at the right time for a long period of time to include their health and growth. And then we teach it as mindfulness practice, which is what you and I experienced in the long runs and the long workouts where you start to pay attention to your thinking and think about your thinking and then begin to curate the quality of your thoughts and emotions. And then we allow the experience of witnessing to kind of arise and we talk about that and we teach that, which is the turning inward toward you know, your, your awareness itself and to be able to kind of then create that shift where you're observing your life from the perspective of your spiritual self, your higher self, witness, whatever name you want to use. And that's a sea change right there. But you can't teach that right out of the chute. You have to kind of like guide people toward that. So that's all the breath control. That's the first skill. And like I said, it might take some people, a while, you know, take our clients a while to get through the whole continuum to where they understand exactly what I just laid out there. The second skill is really about, you know, to keep it simple, we call it starving fear and feeding courage, right? And that's a metaphor for the courage wolf and the fear wolf. And, you know, so we have to metaphorically teach these things, especially when I was working with the SEAL candidates. Can you just go over that quote? I know the quote. But some people sure, might not yeah. know exactly what you're talking about when you talk about the wolf. And I know you have a book about it with that as a headliner, but... I have, yeah, I have a, uh, a, a picture of me staring down the wolf. It's actually behind me too. You can't see the whole thing. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love that quote. But for anybody who doesn't know it... I know. Super inspired by it too, because you know, first, you know, I love the Native American culture, all Native cultures. You know, they live close to the earth and they, you know, they, they were hardcore practitioners, you know? Like the Apache Scouts, I did some Apache Scouts training. They had their own martial art based upon how the Wolverine fought. They meditated. They, you know, were adventurous, like ultra athletes. I mean, they did a lot of the things that we're like rediscovering today. And they're close to the earth and they, they took care of each other. You know, wow, we can learn a lot from that. So they had a legend that there were two wolves that vying for your attention. And the wolf of fear lived in your head and the wolf of courage lived in your heart. There's a story that the elder is talking to this young, you know, warrior and try to, you know, educate him. And he's talking about this and how these wolves are always fighting each other, always in conflict. And the kid asks, well, grandpa, which one of the wolves wins? And the old man says, well, the wolf that wins is the one you feed the most. I just got the chills. So, I love that quote. Yeah, yeah. Feeding the wolf of fear means that you're feeding negative self-talk and negative emotions. Most people think that they're victims of that stuff. They can't stop it. No, it's not true. It's there for a reason. 
it's a it's a teacher. Negative thoughts are you know there to teach us something because there might really be danger or you might really be about to get hurt. But we have these thoughts planted in us by our families and by our society, by culture, by media, by the news cycle, and so people are constantly feeding fear and obsessing about negative and dark things, and that just weakens you. You know, we you know from kinesiology that you know negative thoughts weaken you literally physically. Mm-hmm. Whereas positive thoughts lead you to a higher vibration, which gives you more strength and courage. So feeding the courage wolf and starving fear means interdicting and, and stopping the incessant negative chatter and fear looping and to begin to talk with, to yourself positively and to begin to start believing that you're a good person. Now, there is, it's helpful to do some emotional work, but you know, deep meditative practice can really get you there as well. Yeah, because yoga and like Buddhist psychology all had depth psychology built into it. It's just you needed, you know, to spend enough time doing it and you needed the teachings and the teachers that understood that. I was fortunate. One of my, I did a 500 hour training with a guy named Gary Kraskow of American Vinny Yoga. You ever? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So he's one of the preeminent leaders of the yoga therapy movement. And in that practice, you know, it's a therapy emotional psychological therapy and the motions the asana is really just there to to combine with breath and psychology to help heal so you can get there through yoga but western psychology really helps western therapy and i combined both and it really helped me with a lot of the negative patterns but even in the beginning with seal training you know i created a positive mantra a series of them but the one that stuck with me and still is with me to this day was it's kind of fun is I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. I ought to be in Hollywood. I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. I ought to be in Hollywood. So every time we, you know, sit out on a blistering run, you know, or a five mile ocean swim or whatever the day's punishment was going to be, I would just turn that on, like turn it on, you know, my radio and my internal voice took over. And there was imagery and a positive association with that. And so I would start to feel good. And I was looking good compared to my teammates. <laughs> I didn't care about the Hollywood part, but. Boy, you know, and that really kept all the negativity and the feelings of I can or I want, why am I here? And what, what am I doing this? And I can't keep up or whatever. This sucks. Just kept it at bay. And I was able to perform much better. And, and anyone who didn't learn that, man, they, they ended up getting crushed, right? If you cannot learn to talk to yourself positively and have that, you know, positive emotional and energetic state, then anything hard that comes along is just going to crush you. I think it's the, that's the foundation of resiliency is to be able to be positive and to recognize that this too shall pass. Absolutely. Right? And, and, you know, this is such a very important point. I think there's this idea of toxic positivity, which is a very, you can't conflate the two. It's a very, it's very separate. Yeah. It's trying to make someone's situation, trying to like, be like, you know, it's like someone, if it, someone dies in the family, well, it was, you know, he's in a better place. You know, that's not exactly an example, but it's this- Not allowing people to right, process not, exactly. emotions. So this is different. Or, you know, people who do emotional bypass or spiritual bypassing have that kind of happy, glad wrap around, but they got a lot of a sh- oh, you know, shadow absolutely. and bias. Because they have, it's not, it's not in there deep. And this is different. This is like acknowledging that the brain is incredibly persuadable mm-hmm. and it's simpler than we think. It's and I talk about this a lot with my teenage daughter because, of course, women, girls, they're conditioned to really just beat themselves up. And and I'm sure I can't speak for a male, but we know that that it's just you're just from the time you become aware of the culture, you're already it, it's selling you the recipe that you're already less than and that you've got to purchase something or be something different to be happy and. So, you know, I'll talk to her about like, just notice when those thoughts come because you actually can change them by first noticing them and then literally saying something positive. And you will start to believe it. You will start to believe it. But if you just go down that rabbit hole, it becomes a habit. It becomes this wheel and you've got to get out of it. That's feeding the fear wolf, Oh, absolutely. The fear wolf wins. If Again, the wisdom in that story is so cool because... Neuroscience knows that our brains are wired for negativity, right? We have a negativity bias. Brains are going to be five times as negative as it is positive. That was for survival's sake. You can interrupt that with breathing through, you know, deep nostril breathing, which will trigger the parasympathetic, you know, rest and digest response and positive self-talk. 
Now that's going to interdict and redirect your mind. And so then like overwriting a CD-ROM over time, those that negative chatter and those thought patterns will begin to be overwritten by the positive and you'll start to believe that. At the same time, it's really important to do the emotional and self-awareness work because if you have deep-seated emotional patterns of lack or limitation, you know, shame, guilt, unworthiness, then that will always trump the brain, right? Because emotions are more, way more powerful than just normal cognized thought patterns. The two together, when they're in alignment, when you have a cognition that you experience in your head as a thought pattern that is backed with an emotional pattern, emotional feeling that's aligned with it and in power, that's when you get passion and, and really powerful success. But if you have a thought pattern that says, I'm good and I'm going to go out and, and you know, be a successful whatever, Navy SEAL, but deep down, you're not sure, you're questioning because you don't, you're not sure you're worthy or you're competent, you, know? you haven't really done that emotional awareness work to recognize your true inner strength, then eventually you'll torpedo yourself. And this is why some people who appear to be really successful on the outside, you know, they get right to the edge of success, like true meaningful success or like really where they really feel good about it. And then they torpedo their results. When you have somebody like that, I'm curious, I'm sure you have so many techniques and classes, but say you have somebody who has that deep feeling, as many people do, of unworthiness. We don't know why it's there. I mean, it could be conditioning, it could be the history, but how do you start to extricate that? You know what? It all begins with slowing down and looking within, right? That's the start. You ask, how do you start? You got to slow down and look within. And honestly, I don't think even like you could say start yoga or start a martial art, right? And I think mm, that, that's helpful. It's useful. But if I had started my martial art and it didn't include an hour of sitting on a wooden bench doing nothing, I would never have had the insights and the self-awareness that accrued to me in those four years that I did that before I became a Navy SEAL and then for the rest of my life. So when I mean slow down and look within, I mean really, really slow down. Like do nothing. Sit still. 20 minutes a mor- you know, every morning or in the evening or bowl. Minimum up to a half hour. And a lot of people in this busy, distracted world say, well, I don't have time for that. I say, okay, then keep doing what you're doing and see if you get different results and report back to me. Or you can take my advice and, and slow down and just stop, press an all stop on the action button and just look within. How do you look within? Follow the breath. That's all you need to do. Start with box breathing, just follow the breath in and, 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 and it'll take you inward. And so once you turn that flashlight around and you look inward, then what you notice is that you know there's a lot of junk in there a lot of baggage in the closet, so to speak. But as you alluded to earlier, you begin to get the sense that there's something much greater and that that junk in the closet is actually not you. The much greater part is the real you. And that junk in the closet is just some, some shit you picked up along the way. Usually in early childhood, you know, in the first seven or eight years of your life, when you really didn't have the skills and your brain wasn't fully developed and you took on some trauma, you took on some hurt and then you didn't have the capacity to process it or to contextualize it or to not you know, take it into your body. So you did. And then that gets buried deep. And so when you begin the self-awareness process, that stuff gets revealed to you. You can see those patterns. You can even begin to see more of your past clearly and see you know, the, the trauma. And also it leads you to great appreciation for you know the quality of human life that you started the show with that you know it's there's a lot of suffering like we we are in this life to grow and the growth happens through these lessons that you know i believe that we choose and so we begin to get clear about why we're on this planet because we see the lessons and what they've taught us right we can see the patterns and we can see the archetypal energy of our life and where it was leading us, all these lessons pushing us one way or the other. And we think we're being blindly pushed around, but it was actually all kind of orchestrated in some way, right? At least the major 
arc of our life. There's a lot of free will in between, but the major arc of our life is orchestrated through the karmic, you know, reintegration process, let's just say, you know, theoretically from lifetime to lifetime, which I truly believe. And there's so much evidence that this is truth. So the only way you can get there is to look within. The only way you look within is to declutter your environment and sit still for a while and just teach yourself to do that. You don't have to become a master meditator or learn some special dodecaphonic technique. Just to sit still and look inward, right? And breath awareness practice is probably the best place to start. And you can, you can get a long way with just that practice. And then the rest is kind of revealed to you. I would say, as I mentioned earlier, that we all have these emotional patterns and trauma and things that hold us back. We can all look for them, but it is also helpful to have someone hold a mirror up for us, right? And that's what a, a good coach can do or a therapist. And so I've relied on coaches and therapists to help me kind of ferret out the big patterns and to, you know, to use their specialized skills to help eradicate them, you know, whether it's hypnotherapy or EMDR or, you know, retrospective visualization, stuff like that. It's very, very helpful. Hmm. It sounds like, Mark, you have just done a lot of your own self-study and work. And I'm curious how what it's all about, right, Larry? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> that, this is ultimately here. what it's about, but you've actually turned it into that you're an entrepreneur. And so I'm fascinated because I've done the same thing in a way. And I think it, it really comes back to how we, I think we're driven by service. Obviously, we, we don't want to do this all for free, but there is some deeper calling that you realize like the, this, I know this stuff works and I'm learning. I'm never going to get all the information by any means, but in the learning, I want to share that. When did you realize that this was something that you wanted to turn into a profession You know, after being a Navy SEAL? Well, I was deeply inspired by my experiences in Zen, the martial arts, and then through SEAL training and like how it, you know, why was SEAL training so easy and fun for me? And why was I number one in my class and everyone else quit? Or So inspired by that. And then when I left the SEALs, you know, I wanted, I continued my training and I began to develop my own integrated training methods. Partly because, you know, I wanted to continue my martial arts. I wanted to continue my CrossFit and functional fitness. And I wanted to continue my yoga. And I, I started to go crazy trying to manage three different gym schedules and memberships. And you know what I mean? <laughs> so I said, screw it. I put it all together into one inter- integrated hybrid practice I call Kokoro Yoga. And we actually started to teach that to SEALs, but that preceded the SEALs. And then my first business, I should say, people try to do a chronology on my life and they don't realize that my SEAL career, although it was 20 years, half of that was active duty. The other half, I was a reserve officer. So as a reserve officer, I was able to be an entrepreneur. Because I, you know, when you look at my resume and it's like, how do you fit all that in in your lifetime? It's like, well, while I was in the 20 years in the Navy SEALs, I was actually, I built a few businesses in the latter half of that. Anyways, so my first business, was a business that lacked really clear vision and purpose. And it was a microbrewery. So when I left active duty SEALs, I went into, you know, I went into a partnership with my brother-in-law and I, I built this very successful microbrewery in Coronado, California. You know, they do like 40,000 barrels a year now and it's hugely successful. But I got in a, um, I had a big vision problem with my brother-in-law or, and we, we really just were like oil and water. And I, should never have gone into business with them. So I didn't really ask the right questions. I didn't, wasn't very thoughtful about it. I just kind of barreled ahead into it. And it caused a lot of pain and suffering in the family as, as that thing disintegrated. When I got out of that and went back to my meditation bench and tried to figure out what went wrong, I realized that that wasn't my purpose. You know, when I was in the SEALs, I was on point with my purpose to be a warrior, but it was not my purpose to run a business making beer. And so I was really off point and I wasn't serving anybody. And so I had that epiphany that I was only working on one side of the equation. The one side of the equation is we're here on this planet to evolve and to take control of our evolution if we wake up to that possibility. And once you wake up to that possibility that you can control your evolution through training and practice and meditation and you know what, deep and deeper insights, then the question is why? What are you going to do about it? Well, they're both important. They work together like hand in the glove. What you're going to do about it is give back and serve, which is then going to help you grow, which is then going to help you serve better, which is then going to help you grow. And this becomes this nice kind of infinity loop. 
And so I was missing the service part. And I was like, oh shit. And I had that epiphany. I was like, I meant to serve. How do I want to serve? I want to teach. I want to give back. And I want to give back around the things that I'm passionate about. And that is the next you know, phase of my archetypal journey, which is to go from kind of a warrior leader into a warrior teacher. I'm never going to shed the warrior in me because I'm always going to be the person who's there in the crisis to step up and do what's right. And I'm always going to do the uncomfortable things regardless of the consequences. That's what warriors are. But I left the military behind. I will never pick up a weapon. I'll never hurt another human being unless they're trying to hurt my family. You know, the warriors, the true warriors are the last to pick up the weapon, right? And they really abhor war and they recognize that we're all interconnected. We all belong communicating and not fighting. And so I wanted to teach that, the two sides of that coin. I wanted to teach individuals how to take control of their growth and want to teach people how to serve in, a, in alignment with something that's bigger than their ego. And so I started that with Navy SEAL candidates. And it was a huge success. I started a business called SEAL Fit, training Navy SEAL candidates. And 90% of them are getting through SEAL training and they're being lauded as these great leaders because they've got more awareness and they're doing these practices. And my, my thought at the time was, I'm going to make a more world-centric warrior who could be a better ambassador for humanity on the battlefield. And it's kind of a tall order. As you can imagine, some of your listeners are like, yeah, that's a tall order. I totally agree. I would love to eliminate all weapons and all you know, militaries, but you know, that's a little bit um, a fantasy at this point in time. Maybe 10,000 years from now, it'll be possible. So I started teaching SEAL trainees and then, and I had these long, immersive 30-day academies. I had a big training center down in Encinitas, California. I would take 20 or 30 students at a time. They paid me $3,000 for 30 days of training. Just, I can't even believe I don't know how we did it. We fed them. They slept there. And we trained from zero dark 30 in the morning until eight or 10 at night doing everything I could figure out how to teach them. All the physical training, running, swimming, um, breath holding, all the, you know, all the um, movement practices that I had learned from yoga and Tai Chi and, and some martial arts stuff. And breathing and visualization and mindfulness and leadership and team building. And these guys were just unbelievably strong. So the news got out pretty quickly. And I had a bunch of civilians, you know, like CrossFit athletes and uh, adventure athletes and, you know, CEOs, you know, obviously mostly men at the time, although we had a lot of hardy women come in and they're like, I want to do this training. I'm like, okay, but I'm not going to change the standards one iota. You're going to do every bit of everything. And they did. People started to write books about their experiences, like oldest man to go through the civilian equivalent of Navy SEAL training. I'm like, wait a minute. You know, this is not quite the same. It's only 30 days, you know, but still it's, it, we had like 20 minutes of fame. You know, I've, I've got posters of all those magazine articles that were done about the training at SEAL Fit because it was really unique and innovative. It was considered the hardest physical and mental training in the world outside of the actual military SEALs training. Anyway, so of course, all things have their arc, you know, so SEALFIT had an arc of about 10 years. I still run SEALFIT, but uh, quickly recognized that that's a pretty narrow mission. And although I, I loved training the SEAL candidates and I still do, I wanted to train a lot of people to become more, more like world-centric warrior leaders in whatever domain they are living in. Moms, dads, kids, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. CEOs, entrepreneurs. And so I spun out a, a company called Unbeatable. And that it, it really started with my program called Unbeatable Mind. And I created a, you know, an online training around that. And so I was able to train a lot more people digitally. And then we started to run Unbeatable Mind events that had us you know, a little bit softer touch to them than seal fit and, and really a much more integrated development focus. So not so much hardcore physical, mental, but physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and spiritual. We call those the five mountains. And now that's really become the main focus, right? So we're training a lot of corporate teams and we put, you know, our, the innovation that we have, or not the innovation, but the unique way that we do it is we, we train in a team setting. So we call them boat cruises. That's what we call them in SEAL training. But once we get out, we call them squads. The boat crew is essentially, it's a team committed to your excellence and you're committed to their excellence. And so when we work together, we're not, you know, like it's not the 
marketing team or the, you know, even the executive team. It's the it's a team. It could be cross functional. It could be whatever. But you're focused on each other's growth on holding each other accountable to becoming the best version of yourself possible. And then they practice these skills that we have that we're called the unbeatable mind, you know, um, practices. And they they get clear about their purpose and you know their mission and all this. Then they translate back into their organization to become you know a much stronger culture. So we do that, and also we work we do work with individuals and in affinity groups. Like I've got a, a nonprofit called the Courage Foundation where we help veterans heal from post traumatic stress, and we do the same thing. We put them back into a boat crew with peers. They're coached by a military vet who's an unbeatable mind coach, and we work with them for a whole year, and they just flourish because they've got a team again. They learned a, a new mission. They learn a new sense of why they're on this planet. They develop this the skills to you know evolve themselves away from the, the negative dark place into a much more positive place. What was your original question? I don't know, but I'm just like I could listen to you all day. So I'm so well first of all my one of my thoughts was when you were saying all this, I was like you saw the gap too. Like the gap of that there was no training before you went into SEAL training. You know, you were doing, and I, and for one, I, I love, I think many entrepreneurs who are successful originally start by seeing what, you know, the pain point, like what's missing here. And even though a Navy SEAL is not a business, it's that there was, it doesn't sound like there was this kind of pre boot camp to going there in the same way that you're offering, you, you offered in your, in your SEAL fit. And right. I think, I just I love that because I I feel like that's um that's like that inner listening of like what is a gap that I can fill that I know is needed, and then right. you parlayed that into this gap that was needed in definitely in the corporate world. I'm 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 sure that that team kind of spirit and that individual and then collective, right? Just finding of power is is got to help you know corporates in. Corporations in all kinds of way. A hundred percent. I would love to say if you let me say something to ping off of what you're saying. Yeah, is that the Western culture, you know, has for years, like thousands of years, taught individuality and separation, and that's led to a lot of problems, as we know. And people today are are lonely, especially after COVID. They're scared. And yet at the same time, they're bombarded with these subtle subconscious messages that, you know, you're meant to be an individual and just figure this out alone. And also that if you're not perfect, you're bad. This is what your daughter, you know, is experiencing. If you're not perfect, there's something wrong with you. There's that. And so what I, you know, what I want to help our culture and not just ours, but Western culture understand is that we're, we are at our finest when we're not alone, when we're with a team. And when we have a family and when we can work together and we don't often agree on everything, but we want to support each other in the spirit of harmony and the spirit of, um, I got your back. Right. And those, you know, the, we called the seal teams for a reason. We didn't call it the seal individuals. <laughs> and, you know, we had to learn to check our ego at the door. That didn't mean you just give up your ego and become like a, a monk in a robe with no personality. That no, 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 no. Seals have big personalities. But when we show up, into the team room, we check our ego at the door and we are then all about the team and the mission. And so I want to give people that experience of what it's like to be with a team that really cares about you, cares about your growth, cares about helping you overcome your, you know, your weaknesses and your biases and as able to have those difficult conversations without getting canceled without feeling great upset, without projecting all your judgments and righteousness over everybody in the room. Because that just kills conversation and it kills teamwork and it you know, kills companies eventually. Everyone just, you know, engage the average engagement, which, you know, in a company, it means you're, you're really into your job is about 35% of your workforce. And so, wow. That's low. <laughs> you, know, you might as well get rid of the other 65% of people because they're hurting you. You know, we used to say one bad apple spoils the bunch. One guy on a SEAL platoon of 12 who's not engaged, who's mentally dark or, or negative or rowing in the wrong direction could get everyone else killed. And so we are fiercely committed to each other to not let that happen. If we can't help an individual 
rectify their limitations. And we have very directed, non-judgmental, non-personal conversations about personal failings that, that are observed. We debrief every single mission, every single training is debriefed. Nobody's allowed in the debrief besides the team. And we hold each other accountable to our actions and we learn from it. And if someone cannot grow in that environment, then they're asked to leave the team very quickly. Two strikes. You have two opportunities to begin the path of trying to rectify what's, what your major limitation was at the gap. The third time, it's like, sorry. I believe it. That kind of, that can just suck everybody's energy. You know, if you have one person who's doubtful or whiny or whatever, but I imagine that that experience, again, must be, I mean, that's exactly what you need in any kind of teamwork, whether it's a mission or whether you're working on producing a product or you need that kind of all hands on deck and everybody is doing it for this higher service, which is what is going to be best for the company, for the team, not just for the individual. And you might say, well, that works for you in that hardcore military environment, but you know, it never work in our environment. And I'd say, that's not true because, you know, in our environment back in the seals and even in my company now, it was done with love, right? There was nothing but caring for your teammates, right? And so it wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm speaking as if it was intense and I'm an intense person, but there's nothing but love. Like, and, and even the, the act of asking someone to step off the team, so maybe they needed the time off, right? Or they needed some help in another area. That was a loving act. And then we are also able to meet our mission and everyone, we knew everyone was in alignment. Everyone was rowing in the same direction. And so companies are starting to, you know, that, that we work with that can do that. They really begin to thrive, right? Because then the organization becomes that growth vehicle. It's not like, oh, I got to go to work and you resist it. It's like, I get to go to work because it's where my peeps are and I'm going to learn something today. I'm going to grow today. And we're all excited and we're all sharing the mission and that's the other thing is like if someone if you if you grow out of where you're working is not your mission anymore or you don't feel aligned then it's incumbent upon you to get out of there. It's not going to make you happy anymore to be in an environment that is not in alignment with your purpose or your mission personally and you're just going to bring every people down and it's just going to make things worse for you. So it's coming upon you to recognize it right away and find a way out and ask for help because the organization the best ones will help you. I know most people don't think that's true. And, and I agree that there's not a lot of organizations that don't fit the category of best organization. But my point is accurate. Like the fear about losing the job or the fear about money is very real, but that's just fear. The universe will take care of you when you align with what you're supposed to be doing. In fact, I, yeah, that's the I only way the more. universe will really take care of you. Right? I think so many, well, we see it. So many people are you know, miserable in their job, but they're fearful of, leaving it because of some, you know, financial rope. And it's like, that's a lot of hours spent in misery. That's the economic slavery of our system that, you know, that's, that's got to change somehow. I know. It's starting to, you know, Mm -hmm. especially younger generations are getting much more fluid and, you know, they're not willing to like put handcuffs on and get into that economic slavery. A lot of them aren't buying, taking on debt. I think there's, you know, there's a probably healthy ways to really educate people around how to do this you know, and to, you know, to change the culture in a healthy way, as opposed to like the attack culture that we have right now. Yeah. We don't need to get into a discussion on, on the culture, but you know, these discussions are really interesting and they need to be had, but there's a reason why millennials and younger generations are really pushing back against the old structures is because they're really unhealthy. I agree. I think they're going to just revolutionize a lot which is so wonderful. It's wonderful to witness. And I don't think they know anything different. So I don't look at it like, it's it's like some people said, oh, it's not their burden. But I'm like, you know what? It's life and it's a generational change. And isn't that wonderful? And let's just support them in that because we we all need to be, you know, all hands on deck, but they're really motivating it for sure. And changing the paradigm of so many parts of our culture and society, economic, political and whatnot. So I'm curious, this is like, what, uh, and of course, I'm asking you, but, you know, family, friends, what is it like living with a Navy SEAL when you're not a Navy SEAL? <laughs> is everything super or- orderly and disciplined or are you just like no. kind of take that hat off and you're much more relaxed? Well, you could ask my 21-year-old son, you know, <laughs> so fun, fun story. So 
my son was going to school with a guy named uh, singer, a singer named Joe Walsh of the Eagles, his son. And uh, I came up upon him one day and this is like kindergarten or first grade. And I heard this kid go, my dad's a famous rock star. And my son looked at him and goes, yeah, well, my dad's a Navy SEAL and he could kick your dad's ass. (laughs) (laughs) You were secretly like, yes. (laughs) I was like, yeah. So so with my son, I have an adopted son. Uh, He was adopted at birth. He's an amazing guy. You know, at first I was like, okay, you know, I want to get him into, you know, exercise and fitness and we tried everything. You know, I, I did temple karate with him. You know, we, we did competitive swimming and he would just kind of like kick along and chat with his friend. Never really got into that. And karate we did together, but he wouldn't fight. And finally, when we were going for a brown belt test, the sensei's like, Devin, you know, you got to spar. You got to start fighting. Put the gloves on. And he wouldn't get out of the car. And he looked at me and this is, he's like 16 or, or 15 at the time. He's like, daddy, I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> I know, right? And I said, uncle, all right, I'm, I'm done, right? I'm not going to try to control your life or dictate what you have to do anymore. I'm just going to be here to support you. And so living with the Navy SEAL for him, you know, has been, we have a phenomenal relationship because I've just really supported him and what he's interested in and he's passionate about. He knows that I would love him to work out. Every once in a while, I'd you know, drop a few hints. Hey, come up and do some burpees with me. He's like, not on your life, Dad. I was like, okay, someday, you know, hold that vision. But it's his, he's not unhealthy or overweight. He just doesn't really like the, he hasn't learned that part yet where, you know, he still resists the physical challenges that come with that. And so, you know, he'll have to learn that his own way though. That's a perfect example of parenting, which I think everybody everybody should apply. You know, parenting is so challenging and there's, you know, there's no right or wrong, but I think the best thing we can do is honor the individuals they are. And they can they have their own minds and their own hearts and their own interests and it might align and it might not. And and really, yeah, respecting it and and um embracing who they are is is better for everyone because you see so many parents who are Kind of living vicariously through their kids, and that, but that obviously you didn't do that because you're you're really integrated, and and people that haven't kind of resolved some of those things, uh, I think they don't need they don't mean to. We're all loving. We, we we're trying our best, but they've inadvertently tried to kind of live through their kids a little bit, and that never has a good well, outcome. Just, you want you want your your kids like a flower to flourish and open up, and and dictating what they do and how they're supposed to think and a specific direction in their life, it really kind of shuts them down, closes the pedals back up again until, you know, the suffering gets too much, like it happened to me. Because my parents, you know, they don't, they didn't do it overtly. It was more of like, that's the way they learn. That's the culture. And there are certain careers that were acceptable. The military certainly was not, you know, and there was um, certain things that you just had to do every day. And so we just did them, right? And then, you know, the belt came out if we got out of line too much. So that wasn't cool. You know, it took me until I was 22, 23 to like start to wake up from that and open my flowers petals again, you know, and that led me into the seals and all the other stuff which we talked about. But yeah, I mean, there are seals who, you know, are kind of like badass with their families and own CrossFit gyms and they all learn the CrossFit games as a family. And this just wasn't the way it happened with me. You know, I'm much more relaxed. You know, I, the yoga really has just chipped away at any of that, that real outer shell of the former Navy SEAL. You know, I definitely probably had it in my early 20s. You know, I was pretty hardcore. And now I'm much, you know, I, I liken it to the metaphor of like, if, you, if a tsunami came along, would you rather be a mighty oak or a reed that could just bend over with the wave and then pop back up when it washes over? The mighty oak is gone. Mm-hmm. Right? So... Being a mighty oak didn't work so well for me. I kept getting run over by the tsunamis. And so I, you know, through yoga and meditation and therapy, I slowly learned how to be like a reed. But when you look at me, I've, you know, it, I'm still an oak, you know, and, and nobody's going to fuck with me, but nobody has even tried to fuck with me for years because of my mindset. And it's not like I'm, I'm glaring people down. I mean, it's the opposite. It's the mindset of peace. 
and the, the vibratory power of being able to hold that space and knowing that I am, I am creating my external environment. So if my external environment is one of peace and accepting and being happy for other people and, and supporting those who are less fortunate, why would anyone, why would violence come into my life? Right. When I finally learned that and all violence or any, any thoughts of any type of physical altercation, you know, and I've got years, I've got 30 some odd years of martial arts practice, some of the most brutal training in the world. And it's just doesn't even enter my consciousness. You're, now, you're really again, living the embodiment of the Shirasuka, which is the, as you know, that right. being stalwart and strong, but the supple softness. And you, I can see that about you. Like you have this. It's the yin and the yang, you know, they have to, they go, they go together. My favorite depiction of the yin yang symbol, you know, where you can clearly see the line between the masculine and feminine, and there's a white dot in the middle. That's, I think that represents flow or shibumi, which is effortless perfection. It represents that balance where you're living life right in the middle between the strength you know, the steer and the sukha, right? The strength and the, and the surrender. It's not like you're going to have to go back and forth. It's not like you get to be all tough and then you go, wait a minute, now I'm going to go over here and spend some time being all calm and peaceful. And in fact, a lot of people mistake it that way. And that's why like they come out of yoga class all peaceful and then someone cuts them off and they're like flipping them the bird and be like, ah, right. and it, you know, it ruins their day. That's not sukha. That's They didn't really integrate else. it. No, exactly. It's not integrated. So that, that dot in the middle is where it's all integrated. And moment to moment to moment to moment, you're just breathing and creating the world that you want in your mind. And then it shows up externally. Well, I honestly could talk to you forever. And I love that your last name is Divine because you are divine in in so many ways. And I would love for my listeners to be able to find out more about your programs, how they can find you, the books that you've written. So tell us a little bit about where they can find out more about you, Instagram, your website, all that stuff. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Well, my website is is kind of like the catch-all, markdivine.com. It's spelled D-I-V-I-N-E. And so a lot of my, my books are all shown there, but you can order the books anywhere. My, the, I already mentioned Unbeatable Mind. That's the one that kind of got this program started. And I have a book called The Way of the Seal, which is really about you know, how, to, what's over there, how to kick ass and take names in the world like a Navy SEAL would. But it also has like this, the training of the skills, like the breath work and the imagery. And then um, like Unbeatable Mind, we, have, we just put together, I want to say this, we just put together a really incredible 30-day course, which is just like 15 minutes a day to, to learn a lot of the things that we talked about on this podcast. And it's, it's one of those courses, like you don't get charged unless you're really impacted and then you'll get charged $99. So it's, it's a free trial, which is pretty reasonable. And it's, gosh, it, it, you know, I've, I think I've got like 25 or 30 videos in there mm, of me teaching box breathing and visualizing. It's a tremendous resource. It's one of those things that we did was like, let's just put unbelievable value into this thing and make it almost free and let you know people decide if they want to join the other things that we do, which are more expensive. That's at unbeatablemind.com slash challenge. I looked into this, by the way, and I was mesmerized because it's so similar again to some ways that I teach when I do some... It's a habit formation. It really sounds like that, how you know, so many people launch into something and then whether it's New Year's resolutions or some kind of program that's, that requires a lot and they just don't finish it, they're not successful. And then that actually is even worse because that feeds into that negative feedback loop versus like what you said, little bite-sized chunks of, of changing your habits. And over 30 right. days. Focusing on yeah. habits and processes as opposed to like doing goals and mm-hmm. really dialing in how you show up every day to win in your mind and, and to really contextualize what that means and to be able to see it in the future. And then to you know, select the right targets. You know, So many people, they choose all these goals, but they're really not even the right goals. They're either not right time frame, they're not, they really don't fit them for a lot of reasons. So we have a process to really narrow it down and, and get much more focused to choose the right goals. And then to chunk those down into kind of these little micro goals and then to take action on those every day, but from the place of having already won it. Mm, I love that. Everybody go get that. It sounds incredible. <laughs> we should all do it together and give, you know, get even more unbeatable. You'll be like a Navy SEAL in 30 days. I, I want to be a Navy SEAL in my heart. So maybe I'll do it. <laughs> 
Well, thank you. They're taking women now. Lauren. I know. Never too late. 51. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you could be the first oldest woman. I know. I could like people. break a lot of barriers. <laughs> you could. Thank you so much, Mark, for your time, for your really, like I said, your divine spirit. It really comes through. And I think that having lived and practiced so many different forms of true transform, you know, transformational um, ways to you know, get more inside yourself, get more in that zone of uh, the yin and yang, that perfect balance. I, I think you obviously mm. have done that so well. And I'm so working on it. Glad, well, I know it's <laughs> lifelong, right? We don't want to ever get That's there right. because no. then there's nothing no, left. There, there. Yeah, but there's never <laughs> there. But thanks for sharing all that with us. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's been a real honor. Thank you. Likewise. I appreciate it, Laura. And as always, for everyone who's listening, I'm pulling for you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.